Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello and welcome to the Red Box Podcast in the Times. I'm Matt Chorley. This week we're at the Labour Party Conference, sitting in the London Lounge overlooking the Mersey. And I'm joined by Lucy Fisher, the senior political correspondent from the Times, author, journalist and Jeremy Corbyn supporter, Rachel Shabby, and former Ed Miliband's special advisor and... I think it's fair to say Corbyn critic Aisha Hazarika. So, Aisha, let's start with you. What's conference been like for you here in Liverpool? Horrible. It's been very, very tough. I think the atmosphere has been very, very subdued. Also, I'm kind of just struck by how empty the conference is normally. Like, conference. Well, somebody was saying actually last night, I actually got managed to get served at the bar like quite quickly. <laughs> like, what? What have we become? What have we become? Um, look. Obviously, people expected Jeremy Corbyn to win for like quite a long time, but I think people are now kind of trying to come to terms with it and trying to process what they do next and what the party does next and recognising how divided our party is. You're talking like it's a bereavement, the sort of coming to terms with and processing the whole thing. I think it does sort of feel like a bit of a bereavement. I think for people on the other side of the party, it feels like it's really over for us. And in a way, that was self-inflicted. I think the kind of coup was a disastrous idea because, to be fair, I don't think we had a candidate. I don't think we had a narrative. But we've sort of inflicted a very, very fatal wound on ourselves. Jeremy Corbyn's team won decisively. So for people on my wing of the party, it does feel like it's really, really over for the foreseeable future. Rachel, you're on the other side of the party, so you're sort of cock a hoop and celebrating. Um, I wouldn't say that, no. I mean, I think everybody feels the strain at at this year's conference. It is definitely strained and uh, nobody wants that. Um, I would add um, that a lot of the energy is actually over at the, the World Transformed events. Um, this is the Momentum which Festival, is, which is happening alongside the Labour conference. Exactly. Separate. And actually exactly. it's weird because... Lots of, lots of people, especially journalists, came expecting a sort of much more tense atmosphere, maybe more confrontation. Mm. And actually, I think the fact that the momentum hardcore Corbyn Easters are over it somewhere else, mm. actually, we haven't seen that. And that's maybe why the atmosphere feel, does feel a bit flat. But I think a lot of the energy at that event or a series of events is, is very positive and very optimistic and hopeful. And people aren't really talking about, you know, bereavement, obviously, but they're talking much more in terms of what happens now? What do we do now? We do want to unite the party. We do want the wealth of talent and experience that the other side of the party has. So what's it? what will it require to you know, engage that and unify uh, and make the Labour Party a, a coherent uh, force for good? And, and what do you think it is? But what, how can Jeremy, can Jeremy Corbyn unify the party? Well, I think a lot of it is in terms of you know, it really is in terms of acceptance. I mean, we have a we have a leader who's been you know democratically elected twice. Um, he's created a, a surge of support in membership. He's revitalised and revived 
the party. Um, so I do think a lot of it would be um, the faction that opposed him really going through a process of accepting that and thinking, well, he has managed to do this twice. There are things that we can bring to the table, but maybe there are also things that we can learn from him. Lucy, where do you think the party is in this process of, uh, of bereavement? They've gone through anger and you know, now they've got a acceptance. I mean, do you, do you think the party is anywhere close to, to dealing with this huge shock? No, I don't think uh, anywhere near at all. I think in the moment we're in a weird sort of stasis. There's a pause. Uh, Jeremy Corbyn has won, um, as uh, everyone expected. Um, I think the, really the next big thing is who and how many uh, MPs go back to the shadow cabinet. Um, Johnny Reynolds led the charge uh, of one yesterday by saying that he would return as um, shadow city's minister. And already senior backbenchers said to me earlier somewhat cattily well you know he's doing that to save himself his seat you know he's, he's uh, concerned about threat of deselection uh, in his patch um, I mean I can I can sympathize with many MPs who do feel the pressure um, from an influx of new members many of whom are um, enthused, um, younger people who've never been involved in politics before, but in many cases there's always one or two people who've been involved in militant or other Trotskyist groups who have a much more sophisticated knowledge of resting control of local parties, how to kind of wield the levers of power locally. So, so there's a local battle going on, that's creating pressure on MPs, um, and people are still sort of talking on, on the fringes about elected shadow cabinet. Um, frankly, I think that's a, that's a long shot. So listen, Aisha, Lucy's talking about shadow cabinet elections and you know how some people might go back in some people won't isn't the problem that 170 Labour MPs backed a vote of no confidence in the leader 60 odd of them resigned you know he now can't fill those jobs they're in an absurd position now where they've got probably pressure locally to go back in and support the leader and that probably is the right thing to do for unifying the party but they're going to look like proper Charlie's if they having said just a couple of months ago he was useless and couldn't win an election. I mean look I think if you are a senior uh, shadow cabinet person if you have done a tearful interview to the press about how ghastly the regime was and you've done a confessional blog about how awful the whole thing was to just trot back into the shadow cabinet and be like do you know what I think he's shamizing now <laughs> like that is not going to wash with anybody and whatever your brief is let's say you're the transport minister and, and you, you, you're going on news night they're not going to be asking you about transport policy they're going to repeat to you again and again and again do you have confidence in this man it's going to make the Labour Party look even more absurd so my strong suggestion to people is that I understand the pressures of deselection particularly with Johnny Reynolds we were to everyone was talking about it last night you know he's a really really lovely lovely man very very decent he's very open about how worried he is about his deselection so I think people were like you know fair enough when you've got the sword of Damocles hovering over you with the thing of unity I mean that is the kind of great irony but I do think people if they've made a big song and dance about how rubbish Jeremy is I think to go back looks completely hypocritical but if you're not going to go back basically shut up like stop giving a running commentary from the back benches about how dreadful you think everything that Jeremy or John McDonald does kind of let them get on with it they have one and you can still do good important work as a backbench MP particularly if you're on a select committee lots of people I mean Hillary Benn's thinking of hoping you're going for the Brexit select committee that's going to be hugely important lots of good important work you can do as a backbencher you can amplify the, the things that you agree with on Jeremy things like grammar schools and all that kind of stuff but the one thing I do say to the Jeremy people is the moderates 
rightly got absolutely destroyed in this silly challenge that never should have happened. But what I think is a bit disingenuous is to sort of see to the moderates, right, we don't want you, we reject you, um, we're, we're possibly going to be calling for deselection, etc., etc. But we think you're all quite clever and hardworking. So come back in and do all the homework for us but you're not really going to get a say over the, the, the key things, but can you just come back and do the work for us? And I think that doesn't really, I don't think that's fair. Rachel, you're shaking your head. I think, I mean, I agree with a lot of um, what you just said about, you know, the way back in, but, you know, there, ha there has been a culture change in the Labour Party. It has, it is now new left politics. We've seen that in John McDonald's speech yesterday about the, the economy and sort of socialist economics. We've seen that in the NEC um, or in conference approving the 10 pledges uh, that were part of uh, Jeremy's leadership election campaign and now will become part of uh, the party policy and hopefully manifesto when it comes to elections. There has been a culture change oh, in been, the party. Oh, Richard, hang, there's on, be, hang on, hang on. There's hang been on. a great culture change. I'm saying you guys get on with it. You've done really well. You've won. You've got this culture change. Crack on. You don't need us. Crack on. We'll shut up and get out of the way and let you get on with it. But you guys get on with it. You've done really well. You've won big. Enjoy it. Crack on. Well, that's absolutely the plan to crack on. But as you know, it's not going to be possible to crap, crack on when there's people talking about what to do next to save Labour. So you are right to say that that has to stop, that if you do have reservations about Jeremy Corbyn as leader, now is the time to stop taking that outside. It's perfectly fine to have those conversations internally, of course, but it is time to stop sneering and swiping yeah. at him from outside, because uh, to the outside, because, it, because it's not a good look. But I do think as well, you know, it's, it's not really about, you know, you're talking about um, areas of agreement and actually there's plenty of those. There's more of those than there aren't in terms of policy. Um, I would, I, would see, I would say that most of the Labour Party can actually agree a lot of those pleasures, the economics, the housing, the welfare state, all those things are areas over which most... See, I, just, I think there's still fault lines, particularly around the economy, welfare, immigration. I think they are going to be defence. I think there are actually big issues where there are differences of opinion. OK, but in those areas where there are differences, that can be an internal conversation and that can be... You know, that, that, that's always been the case in the Labour Party. You know, when, when Blair politics first came to power, there was massive disagreement over those. He was in a minority at that time. The party managed to accommodate that. Now, um, it's the same at Room Reverse. It's just asking to accommodate those differences, Look, but be led from the left. You're absolutely right. Um, both of you know, in, in a way, it seems from the outside now, like everyone does agree on policy, but that is a function of the fact that Owen Smith, the challenger who stood against Jeremy, conceded every single policy point. He made the whole contest about leadership and said, you know, we agree completely on all anti-austerity and that has crushed the voice of um, moderate centrist uh, Labour faction that asked that argues for fiscal credibility and competence um, understands the electoral importance of that. That has been wiped but, out but for me. But, 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 that, but, that, but that's, that's already, a, load, it's already a loaded statement, Lucy, because you're saying fisc fiscal competence is associated with a moderate left as opposed to what Corbyn is saying. There's nothing fiscally inc incompetent about what John McDonnell is proposing. I think that there's still um, a long way to go for the shadow treasury team led by John McDonnell to convince people that this £500 billion investment programme 
uh, is credible. Yeah, there's a lot of work to do to persuade the general public that's, that it's credible, credible because for a long time the Labour Party has been charged with being incompetent over economics. That doesn't mean it's not credible. In fact, most leading credible economists would agree with John McDonald's programme. So it's just it's just shifting the perception and shifting the terminology that's used to describe there these policies. There is absolutely no way the public is going to think we are fiscally competent. There is just no way. Well, that's where the work lies, isn't well, it? Well, that is where the work lies, and that's going to be really, I think, as an experiment, it's going to be really interesting to see what happens with, you know, Rachel's Labour Party, John McDonald's Labour Party. Paul Mason and I had a discussion earlier today where he was like, we've got to test this. We and, and, and you know what? In a way, that's right. And it will be tested at the next general election. That's when the public will give their verdict on how fiscally competent they think the Labour Party is. As we're talking about John McDonnell, let's focus on him in particular. We've got a story in the Times today, recording this on Tuesday, about people around uh, Jeremy Corbyn have been telling him ever since he formed a shadow cabinet not to give jo John McDonnell the job as shadow chancellor and to get rid of him because he is hugely divisive in the Labour Party. And uh, before he appointed him, actually, there was a lot of talk that he was going to give the job to Andrew Eagle, which seemed like quite a big open offer, reaching out to somebody who's not on the far hard right of the Labour Party, but uh, A, it meant giving a big, uh, one of the big jobs to a woman, which was quite significant, but he didn't do that. And he gave it to John McDonnell. And a lot of the people who have suffered the abuse, whether it's online or in person, which has become a big, big problem in the Labour Party, attribute that in part to the fact that John McDonnell still thinks it's OK to talk about lynching a Tory minister. And he, he does seem to personify... One of the words that somebody who, very close to Jeremy Corbyn, described me, that uh, John McDonnell as being sinister. He's got the... He brings some of the nastiness right to the heart of the Corbyn to See, Corbyn what team. what I find really interesting about the way this conversation is progressing is that we were about to have a conversation about fiscal competence and now we're going to have a conversation about personalities and who's bullying who and who's aggressive and who's done what. But the bullying it stuff has is been a massive a very, problem, isn't absolutely, it? Absolutely. It's extraordinary it really that the, 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 the uh, party that six years ago was in government is now embroiled in this massive debate about abuse. Can I see, the idea of lynching a woman, the idea of lynching a female politician when this year a female politician was murdered, I think is just disgraceful. I really, really do. I would not have. I would not have said that either. I would much prefer he would have. He would have uh, directed his comments at the politics and not the person. And I will always say that. But you know, but there isn't a but, is there? There's no, not there a but is a but. That. No, the but. You should have apologised for it the when he had the chance this the week. The but is that it has been very toxic. Yeah. This entire leadership battle has been horrifyingly toxic in Esther both McVeigh, directions Esther McVeigh, in both directions. Esther McVeigh had nothing to do with our leadership contest and to talk about lynching a woman is just not okay by the way I thought Owen Smith's comments about smashing Theresa May back on her heels were absolutely disgraceful as well just for balance and you've got to have a zero tolerance approach to misogyny particularly violence against women and there is no buts there are no ifs there are no buts it's not okay let's go back let's go back then to uh, fiscal competence and political competence as well Rachel do you think that Jeremy Corbyn can become Prime Minister in 2020? I don't know. And the honest answer is that none of us knows. We've got a lot of things wrong. Political commentators have got a lot of things wrong in the last five years. What I'm saying is that we need to give this a chance that he has revitalised the Labour Party in a really interesting way, in a way that none of us has seen coming, in a way that seems to resonate with a lot of people, the kind of policies and politics that he and his team are proposing 
at a time when the UK is dealing with a lot of anxiety, uh, a lot of wealth inequality, a lot of wage insecurity, strain on housing, strain on welfare. People are struggling with those things every single day and the politics that Corbyn brings to the table seems to talk to that and resonate with that. Now can he become leader? I don't know. I don't know what the man can do with a strong, solid, unified Labour Party behind him with all the talent and wealth of experience that the entire party has to bring to the table, coupled with the canvassing, campaigning activity of a half a million strong Labour Party. That sounds to me like a really good formulation and certainly not one that we should just dismiss out of hand. Lucy, Rachel's right, isn't she, that the, the political consensus got the 2015 election wrong, uh, nobody expected a Tory majority, it got the outcome of the EU referendum wrong. There, sometimes, you know, politics does seem to be set up for shocks. Is there, is there, is there any possibility, do you think, of a, of a Labour Party led by Jeremy Corbyn entering government? I don't think so, um, but I don't think that there's a prospect of Labour led by anyone. At the moment, the electoral maths just doesn't add up. With the loss of Scotland, it's very difficult to see without some kind of pact, and, and I'm not even sure how that would, sort of, any from any intellectual kind of coherence, uh, work. The idea of a pact between the SNP and Labour and perhaps other progressive parties like the Greens. I know some people like Clive Lewis have suggested ideas around that subject. Um, so no, I don't think that any uh, that any Labour party led by anyone is, is, is heading for success in the next general election. But I do think that we have got a lot wrong. Um, there is this amazing avuncular magnetism of Jeremy Corbyn um, that has struck a note with people. I think it does, a big part of it is identity politics. I don't think it's so much the policies he's uh, espousing that have really captured people's imagination. I think there's something about the man himself. He is an extraordinary um, individual who talks with authenticity and I think that has um, that has really appealed to people fed up with the with sort of spin-suited, politically correct, sort of humanoid, bizarre language that politicians have used. Um, and, and I'm sorry to say, I think Ed Miliband reached the peak. And, um, and well, a lot I absolutely agree. I mean, I think the Labour Party has had many feelings for a long, long time. I think the way we communicated, I think we lost our sort of sense of radicalism. I think we lost our you know, political courage on lots of things. And, you know, I saw it myself on the doorstep. I worked very, very closely with Ed Miliband. And on the doorstep, he did not work as a leader. We saw it time and it came up every day when we were on the doorstep. And the thing is, having worked... Now, so there's a lot of people may say to you, me, look, you, you should sod off because what do you know? You basically lost an election with Ed. You're hopeless, right? Hang on, let me finish. <laughs> I'm just saying, a lot of people say it to him, mainly on Twitter like, all the time. But the one thing is, I know failure. I know failure very, very well because I worked really hard for the Labour Party for the last 10 years and I have seen what doesn't work really painfully close up. And I don't think Jeremy is going to work. I think leadership you get defined as a leader really in about your first 90 days as being a leader and I think the public make kind of a decision about whether you can sort of lead the country and I don't think I don't think we're going to win that argument with the country I think if Jeremy can't you can't demand respect as a leader a good leader kind of like naturally people want to follow that person because they're so good they're so inspiring, you do fall into line and you want to almost seek their approval and they're, they're so good at what they do. Jeremy just does not have that natural sort of authority and you can't demand respect from people, you have to sort of earn it. And I think the public see that if he can't even command the respect 
and he can't even lead his own MPs, how can he lead the country? So I think what we will see is a sort of dead-eyed unity in the Labour Party. I think we will all come together because I think we're exhausted and we are tired and we are so emotional. So I think everyone just wants to stop all the sniping, calm down. I think people will fall into line because of the threat of deselections. There will be dead-eyed unity in the Labour Party and all the while we will drift further and further away from the British public. Rachel, do you want to try and give a more upbeat assessment of what's uh, what's coming? It might be we're all just tired because it's party conference. <laughs> and emotional. Yeah, we're all just. Uh... I mean, I don't necessarily know that I can unpack that line by line, but I, but I, I really. But any any sort of unity, dead-eyed or otherwise, is going to be essentially false, isn't it? No, no. And this is where this is where I think it's really important to focus on areas of agreement on which there are many. The unity that we see around grammar schools, the unity that we see about the welfare state, about housing, um, about investment in infrastructure, you know, these are, these are really key labour areas of policy. And I think that actually that kind of thing can create its own momentum. The more you find yourself in agreement with people who you maybe previously didn't think you would agree with, the more you think, oh wow, this isn't as bad as I thought. Maybe this can work. Maybe this can move. Maybe we can move forward in other ways as well. That creates its own momentum. So I think it's really important to stay in the conversation and to just keep trying and to stay positive. I think it's very hard to stay in the conversation and have an honest discussion. If you disagree, you're not really now in the new world. We have to shut up. That's the deal now. So if you do disagree with things, really, you can't disagree. You can sort of be part of the conversation if you kind of go with the grain and say that everything is okay. So take your thing on welfare. I don't think there is consensus on welfare in the Labour Party. Actually, I think when the next election comes up, that will be a very, very difficult fault line for people because there is a big wing of the party who does think there needs to be substantial reform on welfare, and that's a very controversial issue. So I think there are lots of big issues where we are not as one. I think well, there's, well, there's another one, and we've barely touched on it, and we're uh, running out of time, but Brexit is a massive issue. It hasn't even been debated at this conference. There was, there was an opportunity for it to be uh, one of the things that was debated. It hasn't even been debated at the conference. You've got the job of shadowing the Brexit Secretary is being double-jobbed by Emily Thornby because she's also shadowing Foreign Secretary. And it does seem extraordinary that the biggest thing which is facing the country is sort of I mean, I think we will have out big, on the fringes. Big, I think there'll be big divisions over Brexit, a particular freedom of movement. I think that is going to be a really, really difficult issue for the party. And Lisa, we've seen some of that this week, haven't we, where there were some people who are now saying, whether it's Rachel Weeds or Chukwu Amuna, the, the, the people have spoken. They want something to be done about freedom of movement. And actually what was extraordinary was during the referendum campaign, one of the few things that Jeremy Corbyn could say in favour of EU membership was freedom of movement, and that's just not at all where the public are and where many of his MPs are. Interestingly though, I think, I think there's still huge disagreement um, among the public, among people who voted for Leave and who voted for Remain about the motivations and what they hope to see by, by the way they voted. So I think Labour, because it's not in government, would be the ideal vehicle to be having the discussion with many different voices um, piling in. It's a shame that this week that opportunity uh, hasn't been seized. And it has been, rightly or wrongly, it, there is still this sense of the Corbyn Labour Party being so obsessed with process and who's sitting on the NEC and being in the hall earlier there was a d debate about how, whether or not the reforms are going to be taken as one or, or dealt with separately and there were people out there very passionately saying why aren't we taking, you know, talking about the Tories, why aren't we taking on yeah. uh, the issues and I think there, there is an issue about the people around Jeremy Corbyn who 
obsess far more about who was sitting on the NEC than about going out and speaking to the public. And part well, no, I mean, I think there's two things going on here. First of all, the NEC thing is actually really important because it's it's a continuation of the power struggle between the factions. So we can't really dismiss it out of hand. It is significant. But that said, you're right. Uh, you know, most people outside really don't care. It just feels like this comment has been a slightly internal. wasted opportunity in terms of presenting a new... He won on Saturday and nothing's really... But I think, you know, there's, there's going to be a process of adaptation. But just going back to um, that conversation about, uh, you know, inclusiveness and unity. I mean, what, what strikes me is that it is, you know, as I was saying before, it is a big culture change. And it's like it's like any organization that goes through a culture change. You want to bring people with you. You want people to be inspired by that change so that they feel a part of it and want to work towards it. Normally so, when there's a merger and acquisition, though, loads of people get sacked. But, uh, <laughs> but it's that, not... That may be yet to come. Not, it's not a merger. It's clearly not an acquisition. But at some point, you know, at some point, those people who continue saying, we don't like this, we don't want this, and carry on moaning about it, they are going to get left behind. Oh, no, because the saying, tide I, listen, is very Richard, much... I agree with you. I don't, I don't think those people should be mourning. I just think they should be saying nothing and they should just basically go to bed for the next five years. That's or just point. be open to the possibility of having their minds changed. So listen, uh, as part of this week's podcast, I've also spoken to Chukramuna and asked him about the talk of either him running again for leader or the Labour Party splitting. I've got courage, I've got balls, and that's why I am staying in the Labour Party and I'm not going anywhere, mate, and neither should anyone else. Um, the bottom line is this, is that the Labour Party will only win if we're a broad church. If any one part of it walks out takes us back, goes off the field, then it's not going to form a government. And frankly, because of the electoral system we've got, it's the only party on the left that has any chance of forming a government. So don't think if you wander off and, you know, play with the Liberal Democrats, the SNP or the Greens, that somehow you're going to see the progressive cause forwarded in our country. You will take it back. That's what happened the last time people went and split in the 1980s. Uh, it led to 18 years of Tory government and I don't ever want to see that again. Um, if we adopt the right policy programme and we're relevant to the people whose support we need to get and also the communities already support us, then we can win. Uh, but if we go around ignoring people, ignoring their concerns, uh, at best patronising them at worst by saying they've been brainwashed by a right-wing media and that's why they're not supporting us, then we're not going to get back into power. And frankly, power and your principles and values are not mutually exclusive, they're mutually dependent. Uh, your name keeps coming up uh, amongst what we, you know, what, what term moderate Labour MPs, the, the, the non-Corbanistas. Your, your name keeps coming up as someone who could lead the party in future. Is it, have you given up on your leadership ambitions or do you still, is that still part of your, your plan? Apparent. <laughs> I don't know about that. Um, but no, I, I, when I uh, uh, left the leadership contest after being in it briefly last year, I said, you know, never say never. Jeremy Corbyn's been around for over three decades in British <laughs> politics. Um, I've only been an MP for six to seven years. I was a, you know, was practicing as a solicitor for the best part of a decade before that. Um, but I think this issue of leadership is settled now. I don't believe that there's any appetite at all for us to go through another bout of navel-gazing right now. What people want is for us to come together and to focus on how we can get Labour to be in an election-winning position. And frankly, 
it's absurd to suggest that somehow before the vote on Brexit or the vote of no confidence that we were riding high in the polls. I mean, in over 80 different polls, I think you've written this in your email, um, we were way behind where we should be. And, you know, there was a level pegging in two of these 80, <laughs> you know. Yeah. So I think it's real head in the sand business if we're trying to pretend that somehow if it wasn't for this coup, we wouldn't have problems. We would. And now what we have to do is to face outward and seek to grow Labour Labour support um, beyond those who agree with us and talk about the things which people want to talk about, not that we enjoy talking about because it makes us feel good about ourselves. There are some people who think that if you'd have stayed in the race last year, you might have been the only person who could have beaten Corbyn. Do you, do you regret pulling out? I don't regret pulling out. And, um, you know... Uh, hindsight is a wonderful thing and you know I don't pretend to know what would have happened if I'd stayed in it it wasn't the right time for me um, I had actually spent my time preparing uh, to be a cabinet minister leading the business department for Ed Miliband in a future Labour government managing a budget of 13 billion odd pounds um, I wasn't preparing to run a leadership contest um, so it wasn't the right time for me then but I'm still absolutely determined to play a big role in getting Labour elected in the future but there's so many different ways that you can do that there's been yet more talk about uh, anti-Semitism and the abuse that Labour MPs and Labour members have been getting, both in person at this conference but also online. What do you think can and should be done to deal with the abuse that people are getting? There is absolutely no doubt that there is a minority element amongst Jeremy Corbyn's supporters who engage in online thuggery and abuse. Before he entered the contest, we simply weren't seeing it. Uh, to the degree that we see on social media and in other ways. And I'm sorry, you know, you can deny that fact as much as you like, but it's a fact, and that requires leadership. And that's why when, you know, comments like those that John McDonnell made about a former Conservative minister, Esther McVeigh, are put to him, where there's a reference to lynching and her being a stain on humanity, comments like that have to be denounced by John and apologised for because unless somebody like John McDonnell can play a leadership role on these issues and say to this, you know, his part of the Labour Party tradition, this is not in keeping with what we're about, unless he can do that, then they're just going to see it as a nod and a wink to carry on with this kind of online thuggery that we see. And, you know, there are also those who have claimed that, you know, this issue of anti-Semitism has been got up for political purposes. Frankly, I find that disgusting and insulting. How dare you accuse anybody in the Labour Party of using what are clearly anti-Semitic incidents as some kind of political tool? Um, if you are incapable of seeing that the things that have been said and the anti-Semitic tropes that have been peddled are anti-Semitic, you've really got to ask yourself, what are you doing in a party which is always fought against discrimination, racism and hatred? Do you think that Jamie Corbyn can reach out and bring the party together while he's still got John McDonnell in that such a central role as Shadow Chancellor? I think the behaviour of the people around him is a real problem. You know, and it's a problem because when you call for a kind of gentler politics and then you have the kind of comments where, you know, I can't remember what John McDonnell said about Labour MPs. I can actually, but I won't repeat it this time in the morning. But that is a problem. And I think, you know, we've all got to step up. Step up. We've all got to raise our game. We've all got to come together. But, you know, unity does not come about through threat, through demand, through abuse. Unity comes together through respect, solidarity and understanding. And frankly, 
you know, I mean, it's fair to say we need more of that on all sides of the Labour Party. Yeah. So do, do you think he should remove John McDonnell? I wouldn't go that far. Look, I think in the end, I think it's it, it's for the leader to decide who he has as his shallow chancellor, and I'm not going to, you know, dictate who that person should be. I'm a humble backbencher. So very quickly, um, I just want to ask my three guests: What do you think? Is there any possibility of a split? Do you think? Uh, Aisha, I'll start with you. Do you think there would be a split, and do you think there should be? Uh, no, and no. Rachel, same. Lucy, third. Oh. I'm on my own. I wrote a piece. Uh, got very cross with me because I wrote a piece for the Red Box email where I said that uh, it would be quite good if somebody in the Labour Party on the what they call the moderate side, if they're that cross and had so much better ideas, they should show some balls and uh, take the split. But if they had those better ideas, we'd have heard about it by well, that's now. Well, that's basically my point. <laughs> and if there was anybody capable of leading a split, then they could have run against Jeremy last year or this yeah. year. And anyway, on that cheery note, there's no ideas and no uh, nobody to present them, even if there were, apart from Jeremy, but nobody's yeah, rallying behind him. Yeah, which is actually him. quite a cheery note for a lot of people. There we are, exactly. So we can all agree <laughs> that... There we are, there we are. I'm afraid that's all we've got time for this week at the London Lounge at the Labour Party Conference in Liverpool, overlooking the Mersey. Next week we'll be in Birmingham for the Tory Party Conference and seeing how they're dealing with their various splits and big personalities. Uh, for now, you can follow us on uh, Twitter, at Times Red Box, or find us on Facebook, where you can see Lucy Fisher and I giving you a tour of the Labour Party Conference, if that's your thing. Do remember you can sign up to my morning email briefing at thetimes.co.uk forward slash redbox email and subscribe to the podcast via iTunes on your Android device so it arrives automatically every week. But for now, from Lucy, from Rachel, from Aisha and me, it's goodbye. Thank you for downloading. To discover more, head to thetimes.co.uk.